The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, the House has voted to impeach President Trump. Article 1 is adopted. Article 2 is adopted what this means for investors, and what it doesn't. The question is whether you think this helps or hurts his chances in 2020, which I think will have actually a very big impact potentially on the markets. Trade deal in aisle five. Terry Lundgren, who ran Macy's for 14 years, on the importance of a deal with China for retailers. Our countries, China and America, are just too important to each other to not get a deal that makes sense for both sides. And Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker opens. Does Disney have a new hope for audience dollars? The hope has to be, when you buy into a franchise like this, that you cannot just take the, 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 the folks who sort of grew up on it, but that you can build an entire new generation out of it. Those stories and a lot more, like Facebook buying a Super Bowl ad that may have some familiar faces. Yo, Adrian! I haven't heard anything else you've said. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Thursday, December 19th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, kill, please. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is out today. Our guest host this morning is Steve Grasso. He is director of institutional sales at Stuart Frankel. He's also a CNBC market analyst and it's good to see you. Good to see you guys. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. First up today, here and pretty much everywhere else, the House has voted to impeach President Donald J. Trump. Of course, on Squawk, we're focused on what this means for investors. And so far, it looks like not much. Thank you very much. Here's Becky. Let's talk a little bit more about how that impeachment process could impact the markets and your portfolio. Joining us for that is Ed Campbell. He is senior portfolio manager at QMA. Also, Chris Retzler, who's portfolio manager at Needham Growth Fund. Uh, Gentlemen, welcome to both of you. Steve just talked a little bit about how the markets at this point, if they don't see anything new, any changes to what's happened, it's, it's business as usual. Uh, how concerned are you about what's happened? What, what would be the potential for changing things? What do you think, Ed? Uh, not concerned at all. I mean, I think it's uh, kind of a non-event, right, because there's virtually zero chance that the president is, is removed. Um, and I, I don't think that's going to change, so I don't see it as a, a market factor at all. How about you, Chris? Look, I think once we can get past this, we can start talking about the economy and start talking about companies again and get that headline off. And so I really don't think it's impactful for companies that we're meeting with. It's not how uh, they're investing and making decisions for next year. I think it's much more about trade. I mean, when does this phase one really come in? What's right. the impact? Is it for real? Th- those are the more important pieces. The, on the impeachment piece, I, I agree, non-factor at this moment. The question, and I'm not even sure that it's going to be a factor per se in terms of I don't, I don't think he's leaving office, but... The question is whether you think this helps or hurts his chances in 2020, which I think will have actually a very big impact potentially on the markets. You have a take on that? 
Look, I don't think we know yet, but yes, I think you're right on. I also think, does it change Congress? I mean, does this get such a wave of excitement for Republicans going into next year that they take back uh, the House? Um, so we're going to see. Do you think that you see this, though? It's not only that you see it as being not bad for the president. You see this as a net positive because you think this stirs the base, not only helps the president, but helps his supporters and helps other Republican Republican candidates. I think the American people are very smart and they can see through a lot of this charade that's been going on. Yeah, I think it's the same type of thing. When you when you see Stanley Hoyer talk about how they didn't hope for this, this was something that they started planning on on inaugural day. So this is something where there was a push. I think it rallies not, the base. I'm not sure they were planning on this version. No, they would have. They would have taken any version they could get. I, I don't think of Nancy this. Pelosi would have. I think the the left wing of the Democratic Party has absolutely wanted this from day one. I think Nancy Pelosi well, Nancy, has been around Nancy, long enough that she didn't want this to well, happen. Well, she was pushed them. into it. They are not sending the articles of impeachment just yet. That they're waiting to see what happens. I think they're trying to get uh, some form of negotiation in terms of how this will be dealt with in the Senate. Does that drag this on longer? Yeah, that's, Does I, that have any? I think that's. I think that's the key. And and. Uh, I'll, I'll direct this to you. Do you think this forces the na- narrative to be the do-nothing Dems? Right. Does it force them to do something now going forward? Well, I think to Andrew's point, to the degree that this um, does impact election prospects, it will be market relevant. But I don't think we know how that's going to play out. And see, I'm, I'm just not, talking about I'm policy not sure, now. I'm not sure. I think it cuts both ways, by the way. I do. It has to. Every, every, everything does. It just where's the tipping point. And I, and, but I'm not, I, to me, it's not clear where the tipping point is just yet. I, I can make the argument that you just made about stirring the base of the Republicans. I also could make the argument that potentially, depending on how it gets drip, drip, dripped out and how the marketing of this takes place, that it could be very helpful to Democrats. The Democrats that believe in what they believe in aren't going to move. There's only that. There's only the incremental and the Republicans. There's only an incremental amount of voters that are going to be swayed by this. So the people in the middle, the question is whether the people in the middle who are sort of on the fringe, on the edge, look at this and hear enough good things or bad things as a function of it to decide I'm going to go with. And then, of course, it is very dependent on who ultimately the Democratic nominee is. But I think what we're looking at as investors is, are we going to have more pro-business policies because of this? Is there going to be a continuation of deregulation? You mean after the election? I mean, you're, you're talking about probably nothing getting done between now and the election, Correct. I would but say. But if the probability of four more years of pro-business policies, deregulation that's been very beneficial to investment, you know, we would love to see more investment come in. And right now, I think that there, we've been going through that downturn where there hasn't been enough Capex investment. spending, yeah. The, exactly. The, we've all been waiting for that to happen. Now, there are a couple of things that have been happening. A lot of uncertainty out there. And some, some executives who come in here point to the trade talks and to the idea that we are going through this battle with China. Maybe we're at a detente now. We don't know how long that lasts. Yeah. But there are plenty of CEOs who have said that's the reason they're not investing. But when, yeah. you, when you see the market up as much as it's been up in November and so far in December, it's really not about what's happening in Washington. It's about bottoming right. global manufacturing. You know, the 50 central banks that have cut rates, you know, 90 rate cuts this year, and the fact that we're likely to get better global growth next year. We have some breaking news uh, from IAC. This had been telegraphed before, but we've got it now crossing the tape. Uh, IAC spinning off uh, match. Uh, it's dating uh, online service. Uh, that's going to happen definitively, uh, and they reached a definitive agreement to do that uh, today. Uh, as part of that transaction, it'll be a tax-free spinoff. Uh, we had had uh, Joey in here, if you remember, the CEO of that company. 311. Uh, 
probably about a month ago, two months ago now, where we had talked about the prospect uh, for this happening. And this is really very much part of the IAC model, which is sort of build it or fix it and spin it out. Unlike um, sort of the, the true conglomerate model of keeping it, their idea has always been that they can actually run these things more effectively and efficiently uh, if they if they push them out. So Barry Diller, uh, the chairman and senior executive at IAC, who is fantastic, who has done, who has a great track record of doing these things, says just that. We've yep. long said IAC is the anti-conglomerate. We are not empire builders. We've always separated out our businesses as they've grown in scale and maturity. And soon Match Group, as the seventh spinoff, will join an impressive group of IAC progeny, collectively worth $58 billion mm. today. So this is part of the plan. It's what they've done, and they've done it very uh, very well. Uh, match is well off the highs. Match has its own problems. So when you when you talk about fixing it or creating or, was it or when help Facebook feeling got it, into dating. I mean, it was the, I, I know, it was so that, but it's the, it's the fake accounts. It's the it's the match. To, it's the match with fake accounts that they're just boosting people that are on. They give you that fake trial period and and uh, whatnot. But that that's been the the latest headwind for it. But of course, it, it was supposed to be killed by Facebook as so many other yeah. stocks. Didn't that didn't work. Yeah, didn't happen. Um, interesting to see. You know, you look at the other names here: Hinge, OK Cupid, Tinder. I actually know people who have gotten married on several of those different applications because they met on it. Me too. Yeah. People don't meet in bars or in bookstores anymore. That's where they meet. People online. don't do it, right? Right. All right. How much would you pay? How much would you pay to meet? That's the fundamental question. No, because now there's they're like tiering the services to become right. more and more expensive. How much would you pay to well, yeah, find, yeah. To your, find your partner? You, yeah. you also have to have uh, faith that you're meeting someone real. Yes. You know, yes. there's, there's, there's the, the, the bait and switch type approach, right? We don't like it with cars and we don't like it with, with, uh, with spouses. Right. Meantime, I want to get everyone's sense on what you do with this one. The Wall Street Journal reporting a new analysis of one of the biggest questions in the college admissions cheating scandal. Hmm. Why some parents are holding out when others have pleaded guilty. Now, recent court filings and appearances are providing a little more detail. Lawyers for some defendants, including PE investor Bill McClashen, who we've had on this show before, uh, designer Massimo uh, Giuliani, uh, not Giuliani, uh, Giannulli, uh, actress uh, Lori uh, Laughlin, are uh, arguing that the case isn't as straightforward as the government first claimed. They are claiming that the parents were deceived by the scheme's ringleader, Rick Singer, and that the university wasn't a victim. Others are disputing the facts of the government's case, arguing that witness testimony fails to prove that uh, proctors actually corrected answers on admissions tests. That puts these defendants at odds with others who already pled guilty and have been sentenced, and in some cases have already completed those prison terms. Look, there, there's something else that's at play here. The, the people who cooperated early on right. got better offers, yes. although they were still dealt with very strictly. Very harshly, in, yep. In, in terms of what that was doled out. Right. What happened was, I think, Lori Lachlan and others thought, okay, we're, we're going to fight this. Then they kind of changed their mind when they saw how tough the government was being. Right. Now they flip back because they don't see any upside and kind of going along quietly. They're just going to wind up with very long prison terms. So I think now they're at a point now of desperation they where they say, okay, uh, why agree to any of this? You got to prove your case. Yeah, I, I mean, to the the prison terms were astounding. Right. When you start to look at what what they did, well, obviously what they did was terrible. What they did was wrong. It was you know, absolutely if, if they wrong. did it, or if right. there were extenuating circumstances.
circumstances, then the case will play out. But the whole but thing where is... You, who was it? it was Felicity, what's her face, that you saw in deceived. prison. That, that to me was, okay, she recognized what she did was wrong. She took her punishment and moved on with it. That was the right way. I mean, the whole, the whole push. It's, there's so much of a bigger story here. The push for higher education for these fewer and fewer spots. It's about, inequality. These, and then it's there's about the inequality debate. It's and about then, the inequality right. debate. There are only so many spots for this. The only and way how many, how many, how many We kids talk all go? the time about how it has to be equal opportunity, and that's how you get to the place where you're not so worried about inequality. When you, you have can't legacy, even get into the when, you have the, when you have the mother and father go to a certain college that's right. a prestigious university, and then the legacy when their kids get to go, and it's a 40% Legacy. Now you have sixty percent of a pool. Look, the bigger issue that are getting in. When you looked at this, we all know people who have paid universities money for some of course. Look at every wing. Right. That that gave them a better way of getting in. That's the legal way of doing it. The idea that this was happening was just a step beyond that. That okay, even if you didn't go in the front door and do this legal cheating, here's the cheating that's going in the, the back door. I love the legal way. Like the, the whole it's, idea is it's cheating. It's, 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 it's cheating. cheating no matter how you right. slice it. When and, you're and giving X amount of millions, people, and that's where people finally said, you know, this is not fair. This is part of the inequality debate, okay, and that's so why they really threw the book philosophical them. question for both of you. Would you prefer that there be no um, helping legacy students well, or... I went to a state school, so I don't really care. No, no. no, 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 no. Across the board. Yeah, I, I think that the legacy angle of this, they shouldn't be given a legacy. You should, you should be, it should be on, everyone's on equal footing. Right. And, no, and, le- no legacies. And ju- exactly. And, and no charitable contribution makes any difference. I, it should not. It should be anonymous. You shouldn't be able to put your name on the side of a school building right. or a wing, and that, that entitles you to have your kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids go to that school. That smells. It's, it's, again, part of the inequality. So I would love to see one of the great philanthropists of our time give money to a school with that stipulation, meaning that, that they're effectively going to endow everything. So the no, I mean, and there are some right. schools now where, you, there's, where the students don't pay at all, but the question is whether it could be completely legacy-free, uh, Look, this scandal has changed things. I think it's embarrassed people to mm-hmm. the right. point where it's exactly. much harder to have any of those deals kind of taking place. Some Facebook advertising news to tell you about this morning. But in this case, it is not about ads on the Facebook platform itself. The social network is uh, planning to run its first Super Bowl ad during the game on February 2nd. The 60-second spot will star Chris Rock and Sylvester Stallone. And it'll promote Facebook's groups feature. Advertisers are paying up to $5.6 million for a 30-second commercial time, uh, up from $5.3 million last year. So this will uh, cost them, well... 11 plus million bucks. I, I, does Sylvester Stallone sleep in a freezer? I, he hasn't aged in, a, in the last 20 years. This is, it's pretty incredible. Are you kidding? Do you think he's aged? <laughs> oh, you mean all the work he's had done? I mean, he looks a little different than he did 20, 30, 40 years ago. I'm not sure he, he, looks, I'm not he, sure he looks, looks good. Any, he, he, might, looks, he might look better than he, he looked 20 or 30 years age. ago. I don't know. He it's, looks it's good incredible. for his age, but... But, but Facebook is the story here. That, that's the gorilla in the room. That's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You can't compete with advertising the way Facebook does it, up 55% year-to-date, yeah, all the headwinds have kind of dissipated. You think the headwinds are gone? I, I don't know if they're gone, but there's a lot of other headwinds that have taken its place with antitrust. and There's so much other preoccupation right. on the Hill with impeachment that we're, they're losing focus on attacking Facebook. You're still laughing at the Sylvester Stallone thing? Yeah, I can't get past that. Paul Rudd, he is not. <laughs> Yo, Adrian! I haven't heard anything else you've said. I, 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 <laughs> all, you're, all you're thinking about is his looks. 
Pretty yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's the world guy, we live in. It's where we live in. We all age. Good skin. We yeah. all age. Good um, skin, good doctors. Yeah. Yeah, good doctors. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, former Macy's CEO Terry Lundgren on retail competition in the age of Amazon. The consumer doesn't care that Amazon doesn't make money when they sell you a sweater. Right. We're psyched about that. The retailers have to compete with that. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Today's anchors are Andrew Ross Sorkin, Becky Quick, and our guest host, Steve Grasso. Let's get to Andrew. And to help out podcast listeners, Andrew is wearing a sweater today. No tie. This is what counts as drama on our show. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick. Joe is off today in studio with us. Terry Lundgren, former Macy's chairman and CEO in a full suit Looking very good. Thank you so much. And you're looking very good. Thank you. I like the new look. You're, we're and, trying uh, to test, test out some, you know, be a little. You have Terry my approval. Noticed. He walked I know, in and walked noticed in. immediately. He said, you I know. noticed immediately. I said, you know. And who are look. you wearing today? Because we've had this. This is Corneliani. This is, uh, this is a Bloomingdale's, one of my Bloomingdale's uh, uh, items. Special. Uh, okay. Very special. And it's a great brand. But there's a number. There's so many great things to choose from. Well, we're going to talk a lot about retail with you. The other big vote in Washington this week, a stark contrast to the bitter politics of impeachment, is the expected passage in the House of USMCA, or NAFTA 2.0. The trade deal will see the U.S. take in $3 billion in new tariff revenue, and that's largely thanks to automakers choosing to pay higher levies at the border instead of sourcing more parts from North America. The International Trade Commission estimates the pact could add 176,000 jobs and add a third of a percent to GDP here in the U.S. We posed questions of trade and how the policy impacts the stores that sell us goods from all over the world to our special guest today, Terry Lundgren, former CEO of Macy's. In that role, he oversaw more than 700 department stores under the brands of Macy's, Bloomingdale's, and Blue Mercury. I want to talk uh, trade and the economy and where we really are with our, our guest host this morning, Terry Lundgren. What do you make of this situation? Well, I think it's good news. I think any, any good, trade deal is a good is a good deal, right? And, and, I, and I'm hoping not any is, trade deal is a good. Well, deal, that's t- you're right, but let's just let's just say these have been sitting on the on the uh, in the negotiation ring for a long, long time, and to, to have something that looks like it's concluded is a is a good thing. Some certainty around you know what the agreement is. I, I don't know enough about you know right. whether you'd say this is a phen- phenomenal uh, agreement or not. I, I disagree with that. I think any deal is a guy. I agree with his first statement. You think any trade deal is a good deal? It's got to be better than where we started. Any uh, decline in aggression is probably right. a good news for businessmen who are sitting on the sidelines. This has been what's going to happen. This has been a bi- bipartisan effort. We're talking about force transfers, IP. Both sides of the aisle have thought about this. It's it's only been politicized. As of late, it depends on who's in, in at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. 
But really any deal lately have even been in favor of this, too. Democrats are, are just as hard on China, if not harder. So this has been, as I said, a bipartisan issue. So any deal that we can get starting from here and get even incremental Barry, at first. This is a big deal because we just passed yeah. the December 15th deadline when a lot of those additional tariffs were going to be put on goods that consumers buy directly. That would mean bad news for the consumer. It would mean bad news for retailers. No question about it. And the people were worried about retailers, but consumers should be worried about this if we could, we're not going to get a deal. But our countries, China and America, are just too important to each other to not get a deal that makes sense for both sides. There's just nowhere else to go. I mean, people are trying to do, de- they're trying to move to Vietnam, they're trying to, to, to move to Indonesia, they're trying to, there's no way that we're going to be able to move enough production out of China to make a material difference in the potential pricing impact. And that's why this uh, some type of a deal we're very, very hopeful will get done here in China as well. And, and Terry, it has been a continued year of fallout for retailers. This seems like one of the fastest changing arenas, uh, even even when you watch technology affecting just about every sector. Sure. And there's winners and losers, just like there is in any uh, um, and any any point in time when the consumer is strong, but yet the overall uh, business is generally flat in total, pie is not growing. So there's going to be winners and losers. But the real winner here, Becky, is the consumer, because the consumer is getting their product faster. They've got complete pricing transparency. Uh, they they can set high demands on their, on their own what it demands and what they 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 expect from the retailers and get it. Yeah, my life is easier. Yeah, exactly. Because because there's and that you know that's what you know brings out tremendous competition and of course innovation and investment in technology to make it easier for the consumer. Terry, everybody worries about paying higher prices when we talk about tariffs. When I go to the store, everything's on sale. Yeah. So so I don't know where this is coming from or how much. Uh, leverage a lot of these companies have over their supply chain. And I think that's what it comes down to. The bigger ones have total control over it and can eat those costs or have someone eat those costs. But we haven't really seen that enter into the uh, retail customer having higher prices. Why is that? Well, I've, I've, been, in the, I've been in the retail business for a, for a long time, and I don't remember what the last time that apparel prices actually went up. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so because there's, there's, there's always, you know, improvements in the, in the, in the production process, right. the supply chain, uh, to get pricing down. And, of course, you're competing with others. And, so, and, and to, your, to your point, you know, it's a combination of who pays for that. Does a retail set, retailer settle for a little lower margin, or does the manufacturer settle for a little bit lower, lower margin? But at the end, end of the day, the, the apparel pricing in particular has not gone up in couple decades. Every Mm. analyst who comes in talks about the death of the mall, about how the stores that are based in the mall are seriously struggling. They're not sure how they can turn that around. Now, that's not to say that every mall is going out of business, but you're looking at a lot of malls that are no longer frequented. The traffic numbers are are far down. And that's a huge issue to uh, companies that have built up this infrastructure in malls across the country. What's the solution? What's the answer? Well, first of all, you know, the, 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 the fact is, it starts with, there's just too much retail space in America. I mean, America is way overspaced relative to Europe, whether, uh, relative to Asia. What, what are the numbers? You've walked 23 and a half square, square feet per, per capita mm-hmm. in the United States, and that compares to about four, less, than, less than five in most of the developed Europe, Europe countries. But 23 and a half is just simply too much. has to be a contraction. Certain companies are, uh, are doing that voluntarily. Macy's reduced 20% of their stores two, two, two years ago. It was the right decision. Every one of those stores was cash flow positive. But today you're seeing stores like Forever 21, Payless, uh, Sears, not voluntarily 
closing stores, but doing it in reaction to a need. So, so the good news is that over time, supply and demand is going to come back to normal once again. Right. That's going to be actually That's a good. Process. It's going to be a painful process, uh, and it's not over. So, it, but, but at the end of that period of time, it's going to be good for those who have survived the challenge of these next few years. That's what I feel. And so there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. If you've got a strong balance sheet, you're in good shape. If you don't, you're going to have a tough, uh, n- tough next few years. How has Amazon changed the playing field? I mean, we've watched as Walmart and Target have actually done pretty well ramping up against yeah. them. I know Macy's.com has been an important part of the play, too. But how do you compete when they are changing the parameters every year? This year it's like free one-day delivery or free right. next-day delivery. Right. Well, let's, let's, here's, here's the reality. Again, consumer wins, right? Because the consumer doesn't care that Amazon doesn't make money when they sell you a sweater. They, right. don't, they don't care about that. We're psyched about that. Yeah, you're psyched about <laughs> that. And so, so that's actually, again, good for the consumers. The retailers have to compete with that. They don't have cloud services that can, that can offset their, their profit margins, right? Sure. AWS, right. Yeah. So, so, so the, the, so the, but it's the reality. You, you can complain about it, but the reality is you've got to compete against that. So in the, in, for the consumer, Amazon has been actually good for getting retailers right. to become more aggressive, to make sure their supply chain is working, to make sure they're investing in technology, doing all those things how that are feel, important, though, ultimately putting the consumer at the center of their decisions. But how do you feel about, as a merchant, on the, on the other side of this? Yep. Even those who are the third-party merchants on top of Amazon, where they're feeling like, or, and you see the arguments being made all the time, that all of a sudden their products are being copied, right? That's the, right? They, Amazon is seeing that this mug is selling well, therefore they make a similar mug. Or they see that tie, they like that tie, they make a similar tie. Yeah, they will, that, exactly. But that's, that's, so retailers are doing that as well. But so that's always happened. That's always happened. It's called private label. And, you know, that was always the basis of private And should private there be label. a different... But, Given the, the scale and scope of, of Amazon, and I'm not making the argument, but I wonder, given this sort of larger antitrust uh, case or at least investigation that's going on into all of these big tech companies, whether you think this private label idea is going to somehow change. Well, I, do th- I, th- I think actually some version of private label or exclusive products is actually the key to growth for retailers in the future. Because if you have the same identical product and it's, it's everywhere, it's sold right. you know, at all, di- all different stores, there's one thing that will make you different, and that's price. And so if you want to lower your price, right. and you can do that dynamically while the consumer's looking at your site, you can, you can change your price. If you, if you do that, ultimately there's no bottom. You know, because right. somebody's just going to keep going lower and, and lower. The, and, and those com- many of those right. companies, Andrew, are going to go out of business. Again, the consumer's fine with that. Terry, let me ask you. You just laid out the reason for why Amazon has been so great for consumers. They've driven prices down, forced other retailers to kind of follow suit and, and make things easier for the consumer. There's a lot of talk in Washington. Uh, I wouldn't say it's been great for retailers. Well, but I, I know, but, but there's a lot of talk, the, there's a lot of talk the in, in, in Walmart. I mean, there's a lot of talk in Washington about busting up Amazon and some of the other big tech companies. In the past, it's looked at, it's been looked at, you know, if it's too big, it's been looked at as a reason because consumers suffered because of a lack of competition. That would not be the case in this situation. That's not the case in Do you think Amazon 
should be broken up. No, and so I, don't. Can be I, I don't. The reality is, Becky, 90% of all purchases are still done in a physical store. Right. Amazon's half of the online business, so they have 5% of the market. So there's a lot of business out there. I think, and I think companies like, particularly like Target and, and Walmart, are making all the adjustments, not just today, but have been for the last few years to get to this point and investing in innovation, and they're doing a great job. And, I, and so I think there's going to be companies like that are going to really excel uh, in, the, in this quarter and, uh, and forward into 2020. Terry, what do you weigh in on the holiday tie? I Good luck, cheesy. I th- yeah, totally cheesy. I think it's. Uh, I think they're great for uh, parties and uh, really. You know, we're trying to make a statement, but totally cheesy. And we, you know, my former company sold a lot of them. And I, in fact, I think you'd look great in one of those uh, holiday suits. You know that actually have the Christmas trees. Candy cane corduroy pants. I don't guys. want that. But candy cane corduroys. I'll make a plug for it. And I'm actually thinking of buying it. You can tell me if it's a bad idea. J Crew has a tuxedo blazer, mm. so satin uh, um, lapels. But then a tartan, uh, tartan uh, sort of, it's a red situation. Be careful not to be ever photographed in that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think that's a good idea? I just kind of made <laughs> I the thought it would be kind of fun for a Christmas party. It it'd be, be nothing totally confusing. cheesy and it'd be great for you. That's what it basically <laughs> yes. just said. I'm going to show it to you. I mean, during the commercial break, I'll show it to you. It's online. It's on yeah. sale. Maybe for a reason. I think I have the, <laughs> I think I have the visual, but you're, you're welcome to show it to me as well. He's next. Let's go. Move it or lose it. Harsh reviews. It's not going to stop Becky, but there's some harsh reviews for the final installment of the Star Wars Skywalker saga. Will it have an effect on the box office numbers? No. That's what people are talking about. <laughs> Becky says no. We may if have somebody this, coming up after the break. Going. It's the last one. He says yeah. yes. We'll yeah. see. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. You are listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Becky Quick. This one breaks my heart. The first reviews for the new Star Wars movie are in, and they are not great. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker currently holds a 58% rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. One critic said, rather than making a movie some people might love, J.J. Abrams tried to make a movie no one would hate, and as a result, you don't feel much of anything at all. Critics also said... The Rise of Skywalker spent too much time fixing issues the fans had with The Last Jedi. Richard Roper acknowledged the plot pitfalls, but called it a solid film and gave it three out of four stars. The movie is expected to haul in around $200 million this weekend domestically and eventually fetch $1.4 to $1.8 billion globally for Disney. 
My guess is that it's not going to stop the diehard Star Wars fans who have been invested in this uh, franchise for over 40 years at this point. I think it was enough people that are so invested yeah. in this series. And who have invested that, their children yes, as a result. Exactly. There's a whole new generation that is going to be exposed to this. And you're going to take them regardless of what the reviews are. But Especially three four, because... because three out of four stars wasn't bad. That's four, not bad. It's that? the Rotten Tomatoes that concerns me. The Rotten Tomatoes is the worst since The Phantom Menace, and The Phantom Menace stunk. Yeah. Like, so, I, I'm but a you huge saw Star it. Wars fan. I saw it but exactly. like, once, and I've, I've, every other movie I've seen 27 times. So here's, <laughs> here's the good news. The good news is you will go, you will go, the Sorkin family will likely go. It's right. over the if, holidays. You've got nothing if, else if to do. You, right. If you grew up as part of the Star Wars generation, you went. Right. The conundrum, though... For Disney mm-hmm. is that they've built these franchises. They now have uh, the Star Wars, uh, you know, uh, centered down at, at Disney right, World themes, th- theme park stuff. They, the, the hope has to be when you when you buy a, into a franchise like this that you cannot just take the, the 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 folks who sort of grew up on it, but that you can build an entire new generation out of it. Right. And so that to me is a good. now. I think our kids may be part of that. Uh, our kids, our extent, kids are definitely. But are, I do think that there's probably an element years. of this where, if, you know, but there's you a higher bar. There's a higher bar Absolutely. for for the three of us to go watch this movie than oh. to take our children because they're not comparing it to right. anything else. They're comparing it to what they already watch. Right. And this might be leaps and bounds better than what they're already watching existing. Right, right. And, and they're getting hooked in through The Mandalorian. There's all these tentacles that Disney right. has out there right. to bring all of them in. I don't think this is going to hurt the box right. office. And we didn't go to any theme parks when we were kids that were based on Star Wars. Yeah, back then when we were walking uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> no, but think like about it. They have so users. much more interactive uh, experiences True, for kids that get them, yeah. get them involved. So there's so many different layers of this. I don't think it hurts them. I'm disappointed to see it as a huge, as a huge Star Wars fan. So you got to get Star over Wars it. Fan. I'm a JJ fan. Yeah. Me too. We'll see. <laughs> I also think, by the way, that these reviews and I. It's a little bit like we were talking about this morning show with the reviews. I never care about Rotten sometimes, Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes is better though. Rotten Tomatoes is better at like though, really getting the fan the sort, instinct. The sort of knee-jerk instinct. I don't know. We'll see. I, I didn't. Right. I wasn't concerned until I saw it was Rotten Tomatoes, where that I had was, the lousy thing. Like, uh oh, that's a bad sign. That's interesting. The rot, so Rotten Tomatoes has the credibility for you because it's so many. It's fan, yeah, right. so many, and it's it's much more in tune. When with are you going to see it? I think. I, you know, we were going to see it soon, but I think I want to wait till next All week. Right, we, we expect a tweet school. immediately as yes, you come out of the theater. Full, quick review. You're okay. the benchmark. Quick, quick family review. Joining us right now for more on Disney's box office dominance in the year gone and the year ahead. Tom Rogers is here, executive chairman of Winview, former president of NBC Cable and a CNBC contributor. Uh, also, uh, Brent Lang is here, executive editor for film and media at Variety. Good morning to both of you. I'll ask you the comp question. Can Disney keep this up? They had such a killer year. Two years in a row of over $3 billion in operating profit. <clears throat> That's very tough to beat. But I got to say... I've been accused of being tough on Disney, reading the reviewer in your newspaper. The Rise of Skywalker isn't a great Star Wars movie, but that may be because there is no such thing. And you know what? I don't think what the critics say matter at all. I I don't think so either. I'm with you, John. I'm there anyway. No such thing as in there was never a good Star Wars movie? Right. he, He ends it with, it is not entirely terrible. And you know what? I don't think it matters what the critics say. They are going to be a juggernaut. 
that is going to be really tough, even for Disney to ever right. top $10 billion in one year in box office. Okay, no man, one's ever done that. That was my point. As long as Jar Jar Binks not in it, I'm going to see it. Okay, but let me ask Brent a question. This is what Becky and I were talking about earlier. So the Sorkin family, the quick, we're all going to go watch this film, but that's because we're of a generation, right? We grew up with this, and to some degree you could argue that maybe my children will be growing up with Star Wars to some degree. They're coming in uh, a little late in the game. But there, are, there is an element of a generation that hasn't grown up with Star Wars. And so how important is this film, not just to being good enough, but to be great, to extend the franchise, not just in the theater so that you want to go back to Disney World maybe for the second or third time, to now go to the theme park, all of it? Well, I mean, it's all relative, right? I mean... Anybody else would be thrilled with an opening weekend yes. of $200 million. So we just have to put that in perspective. But if you look at what Disney hoped it was getting when it acquired Lucasfilm, I think it thought it was going to be more like Marvel, where you were going to have a Star Wars film every year. It turned out they kind of did too much too fast, and they, well, they were are having some creative problems. That was a problem. It's a, it was a big yeah. problem. I mean, look at Solo actually lost money, and this is going to do less than the first uh, two films in the third trilogy. Um, and so I think that creatively they're trying to sort of figure out what can they do to extend this brand. And it could be that the future is not on the big screen uh, where Star Wars revolutionized cinema, you right? It's on, it's on Disney+. Streaming. Plus. It's on it's Disney+. On Plus. I mean, The Irishman's a completely different operation, but on Netflix, and you saw the numbers they came out with in terms of just the sheer number of people that are watching it, more than you would ever get in the theaters. Right. Well, I think that's a fascinating point because what's going on here is... Disney is purposely disrupting its television business, right. but trying to maintain the theater window and theatricals because they're so dominant in it, while the rest of the players are trying to disrupt the theatrical business by taking movies, putting them in the movie right. theater a few weeks, then like The Irishman, like uh, Marriage Story, like The Report, going right to the small screen. And Disney is the one who's trying to keep right. that wave from overtaking their business there. The best thing movie theaters have going now are the big cushy chairs. Right. Okay. Tom and Brent, thank you guys. Happy holidays. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.